Hey, happy Friday. How are you? Happy Friday. I am good. What a whirlwind week. It's almost May. Look at that number, Jason. 2008. Holy smokes, you guys. Congratulations. Congratulations to all of you, to this community. Hi, Jody. Hi, Donna. Oh, 109 in uh, India. Wow. Stay safe, Madan. Hi, Casey. Adam, welcome. So glad you're here. Um, There are, I see some new names. I love new names. Um, Wow. So welcome, everyone. This is uh, the Now of Work community. Um, And uh, I know Blackout Peace song coming. We should have done some time. There's Mark. Hey, Mark. I love it. Um, So great to uh, have you guys on. Um, For those of you new, um, welcome. We do this every Friday, and I hope it's not your last time joining us. Um, I don't even want to click on that link, Sherry. Um, but I'll, I'll, let some, I'll, let, I'll let someone else click on it and tell me what it does. Um, but uh, we do this every Friday. And this is something that we started um, really two years ago now, um, basically two years and a couple months ago. So I think this is episode 107, if I'm keeping I'm doing it right. And, um, you know, the concept when we started this community was really to um, be there for people to really show love, to show support, you know, as well as to share knowledge. And, um, you know, we did that through crazy times, crazy, crazy times over the last couple of years. And Jess and I were just talking in the green room, uh, you know, about how important not to forget about the last two years, but to continue to learn about what the two years have taught us. So really, really excited to keep doing these. And once again, for those of you that are new, uh, I feel bad that you missed 105 like kick ass family, <laughs> like family dinners. Yeah, um, but hopefully, exactly you don't what miss any, hopefully you don't miss any more because uh, it's a, a great, great group of people that you just get the opportunity to, uh, to kind of host. Anything you want to add to that, Jeff? Just thank you. I mean, this this truly is a community in every sense of the word, just like you feel in your own personal lives, the community you surround yourself with, with friends and 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 where you live and and all of that. This is that space, too. Uh, we were just talking a little bit about um, trauma, a weird word, but trauma and recovery. And and I, I just don't want to forget that people have seen a lot and navigated yeah. a lot. And I'm helping my kids through a lot. And so are you. And and when you work in an HR and people function, the people in your workforce uh, are still still maybe waiting to bounce back fully. And you never know when trauma is going to rear its head and want to be addressed and um, and sort of need, uh, need you to stop down for a moment. Um, so whenever, whenever that hits you, however that hits you, uh, this is a great space. This is a great community for you to come and feel supported and feel human. Yeah, I love that at least you got me through a job search, a new role, a tough transition, now finding my dream job. So like, that's mm-hmm. awesome to hear. Um, Kristen, I'm glad that you're here. Sherry, thanks for being here. Amy from Wisconsin. <laughs> awesome. So we're, um, the way that we start every one of these uh, meetups, um, because we have two amazing guests on today, which I guest is not even the stupid, that's a stupid word. Um, yeah. We have two amazing humans on this week. Um, that you guys can love, um, as I know Jess and I both do, which you're going to uh, to learn, learn a ton from. Um, and um, the way that we start every one of these is just a question. Um, and it's an easy question, and it's just three words. How are you? How are you? And the responses are simple. Green, yellow, red. Green, you feel great today. It's been a great week feel like you're alive and well. Yellow, not so good, but not terrible. And red, I'm not in a good place. Uh, and we always start this way just because it's really important to open yourself up. Uh, it's open, uh, to be honest, open yourself up. Um, John just said people have been disappointing me this week. Oh. Just getting that, just and saying that is really, yeah. really important. Um, Got some good greens. Got some really good greens today. Jess, look at that. 
It's amazing. Almost green. Like I see, we're going to get you there. I yeah. promise. Like, if you can't be green by looking at all that stuff on Jess's arms. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Look at eyes when you move your arm. They're like, wow, those are really showing off today. <laughs> uh, yellow. Okay. Jessica, we're going to get you green. Um, more green than yellow, but still some yellow. I have not even seen our guests say anything. Mm. Like, we have more people. Molly, hey Molly, we have. We need to have more people respond based on the number no, of people that we have on here. Um, but uh, so um, great, great to uh, to have you. And uh, for those of you that are yellow, Sharon, uh, mm -hmm. we'll, let's work on that over that next hour. And once again, if anyone ever wants to talk, um, please know that the community's here and uh, and we're here. So Jess, I know you spent some. Susan, nearly green. Nearly. Let's go, Susan. We got you. Uh, Susan, I had to, like, excuse me, let me rephrase. When I knew that this, you guys were the guests today, as you can tell, I'm not in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, I was like, there's no way I could miss this. Jess is like, dude, seriously, you're on vacation. Like, <laughs> I'm not missing this. So, uh, Susan, I'm so, we're going to get you green. It's the last thing, uh, last thing that, uh, uh, sad week for Chippewa Falls. Oh goodness, I don't even know the story, I, Jess. I'm, I'm literally Googling it right now. I'm so sorry to hear. Oof, okay. Yep, that's a tough week, all right. All right, Chippewa Falls. Uh, I, Amy, I apologize, I'm out of the country, so I clearly <laughs> missed that. Uh, Jess, what is it? Uh, it looks like they arrested a suspect in the homicide of a young girl. That is horrifying. Oh, this was the 20-year-old uh, from the University of Wisconsin. Mm. Is that that story? I'm not sure. I, that's oh, no, not that's not that story. She was okay. actually, sorry, something. She, she committed suicide. That was really sad, that story. Uh, amazing athlete at the University of Wisconsin. Oh, suicide. right. So, so um. Sorry, Amy. Um, Choosing green uh, for your blessings. What a beautiful way to state that, Amy. And thanks for being here with us today. Yeah. So, Jess, I know you spent some time in Chicago this week. I spent some time in Charlotte this week. Yeah. Uh, remember when I said goodbye to you? What was it, last Friday? Um, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a while till I see you again. Um, I know. Yeah, so it's been a crazy week. But I know you've been doing a lot of work on the jobs front and talking about careers and things like that. Um, I've been doing a lot of in deep in the technology weeds. Uh, anything you want to say about Chicago? No, I mean, what an honor. I, uh, I got to spend some quality time with the global people leadership team of McDonald's and, uh, and imagining the art of the possible around the future state of employee experience with one of the largest employers in the world who has obviously a franchise model, who has a massive shift-based uh, workforce, there are challenges. There are, that's probably stating it a little too lightly, lots of challenges in delivering the kind of experience people not just need and want, but deserve. Um, and I know everybody is having that kind of conversation in their workforce um, so that you can attract incredible talent and keep growing your business, but so you can keep people and treat them right. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, talent attraction and retention and, and not just that, but internal mobility. Once you have people in the business, recruiting, I'm sorry, retention is recruiting too. Keep recruiting your people, keep, you know, uh, finding ways to make them mobile and develop them and help them thrive at work. Um, I, I can't tire of that conversation. It's a big conversation. Jess, sorry, I'm a little, I think my connection's a little spotty. I hope it's okay. No, it's good. Hopefully everybody else okay. caught that. Great. Um, Everything Sharon, is working. That's right, Tracy. Sharon, if you need to add vodka, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. um, so what we want to do is bring on our guests. And uh, maybe, Jess, if you want to start by introducing yeah, that would be great. absolutely. And we lost your, did, did we lose your video or did you, is it just me? I think it's just you. Let's have the community okay. tell us. Can you still see us or me or Jason or whoever? I see myself, but I don't see you. But uh, let's go <laughs> ahead and bring our guests on. I can hear you okay, so that's all that counts. Okay, perfect. 
Uh, well, some of you know, if you um, if you know me, you know I came from the recruiting space. Once a recruiter, always a recruiter. I love talent attraction and nurturing and engagement and the hiring process. Uh, and I became, you know, obsessed probably 15 years ago with creating a better experience of all of that. And so that topic still feels really near and dear to me. Uh, and... Uh, and, there, and I've also been fortunate enough to be in the space at the time, really incredible tools um, became available. Employer branding became a function in itself. Recruitment marketing, we're very familiar with consumer marketing and marketing automation and lots of things from the consumer and brand side, but applying those concepts to talent strategies, to talent attraction, um, hi, Susan. Uh, all sort of came came about in the last couple of decades. And I, it's just incredible the innovation and the advancement we're seeing uh, when we think about those things for talent. Um, and that's why I had to have Susan and Adam on. And I'll let them introduce themselves. But um, Susan obviously knows this story well as the head of marketing uh, for one of the most powerful talent and hiring platforms in the space. Um, and they were lucky enough to snag Candidate ID, which is marketing automation for recruiting. Uh, another like really innovative concept that we've been sort of waiting, you know, for this to come to fruition and become uh, real, a, a real strategic play for companies trying to attract and get talent in the door. And so Adam Gordon is here uh, joining us for this conversation as well. Hi, Susan. Hi, thanks for having me. How's everyone doing? Oh my goodness, fantastic. Thanks for Good joining. to see you. Good to see you, Susan. Here, and you, and doing this on your vacation. I, I meant it in the chat, then they have me degree, and that was so kind. Um, actually, one of my very first, I was thinking about this actually this morning, one of my very first events that I went to at ISIM, I saw Jason speak. So I feel like you've helped, like, you know, um, introduce me to the industry, even if it's been many years. So thanks for that. Um, well, and Susan, I was going to say, like, nothing against marketing. But you're much more than the head of marketing. Right. Like you're one of the in thought leaders of thought leaders of thought leaders in the acquisition space in the world. So oh, you know, forget you. the fact forget the fact that you work for a vendor. Um, like not that that's not important, but you know, who you are as a human is truly a leader in the space. So thank you. Thank you. That means a lot that, you know, you, I think I'm always going to say I'm almost green because then everyone's going to try and like really cheer me up to flip me over. And, and that wasn't, that wasn't what I was doing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Susan Amar. I'm the CMO at iSims, a talent cloud company. I'm genuinely thrilled to be here. I'm really excited um, and uh, delighted to have Adam join us as well from um, Candidate ID, which is now an iSense company. We just announced a couple weeks ago, as just mentioned, uh, the acquisition of that company, uh, who's just doing incredible and innovative things in marketing automation. Um, Adam, are you on too? You know, we're trying to bring him on. I think he may be having a few technical difficulties, oh, but okay. we, we are inviting him on and uh, he hasn't accepted yet, Susan. So uh, we'll hopefully we'll get him there. I see him in the chat, but I haven't seen. Yeah, not, me too. Oh, and I also see Molly Weaver in the chat. Hey, Molly. I know another amazing talent leader, mm -hmm. uh, and now doing consulting in this. She's a guest in, in a few weeks too. By the way, Molly will be on with us uh, shortly, uh, and Adam will be joining us shortly. Susan, for people who don't know, sort of how, where and how you started in the space. Um, will you tell us a little bit about your background and sort of what you've seen and learned in this in this people and talent space? Surely. Well, um, in full transparency, I didn't necessarily have dreams all my life of landing in uh, recruiting or HR tech. Really didn't even know much about it. Um, and I stumbled onto this company, iSims, when I was still in college. Got a call from our then head of marketing and sales for an interview for an entry-level marketing role. Um, and I took the interview just as practice, honestly, <laughs> I was like 21. I was like, sure, I'll, you know, it's practice. Um, and I had a really great conversation with um, with him, Adam Feigenbaum, who many people know, um, and our founder, Colin Day, uh, and really just really liked the company. And at the time we were maybe 30-ish employees, we were small. I was um, given a lot of autonomy and a lot of grace. Hey, Adam. 
probably more than I deserved uh, at the time, given my lack of experience, but really was um, excited to be here and doing things. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to have my fingerprints over things and take ownership and build things. And that's what I've been able to do. And so almost 17 years later, um, here I am. And now we're a little bit of a different company in some ways, the same company in, in terms of heart. Uh, but yeah, now we're about 1300 people around the world versus those, you know, three dozen, Got about 4000 customers, including some of the biggest brands in the world, made some incredible acquisitions, built some awesome products, have developed this incredible community of about 25,000 people in our in our um, community of talent innovators. And it's just been the ride of a lifetime and honored for, for the opportunities I've been granted. I can't believe it's 17 years, Susan. Me neither. And, you know, I said it's crazy because I'm like 25. So it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and Adam, we didn't know you just had to put your middle initial and your last name in order for the video to work that's part of it's a technical uh, feature of this platform you know that's what why you got on for whatever reason adam couldn't join as adam but he joined as adam w, w. thanks so much for having me i don't understand why that happened because i was i was on a i was on a um a, a webinar on crowdcast about four hours ago and it was fine i do it every friday i'm on here all the time but anyway uh, thank you, <laughs> you so much it. for having me absolutely susan was telling us she applied to a job when she was five years old <laughs> and decided she liked that experience so well she stayed in recruiting i'm joking what about you how did you get started in this crazy talent space a uh, really simple answer actually um I when I was leaving when I was leaving university, a friend of mine who was about two years older was driving a Mercedes. And I thought that's something I could probably do. He's not all that intelligent, to be honest. So I could probably get a job there. And I got a job there. Uh, and so, you know, the honest truth is when I was you know, 22 years old, that's what I was motivated by. And that's why I went into recruiting. But 23 years later, that's no longer what I'm motivated by. I'm motivated by making uh, life better for recruiters and for candidates and for hiring managers. And that's like my personal um, mission. And Candidate ID, um, for those who don't know, was really, truly uh, a trailblazer, I believe. I mean, I've been watching that company for a long, long time because I was working in that in that exact space, recruitment marketing. And I spent so much time evangelizing and even explaining what we were talking about, like marketing, talent attraction, marketing for talent and how you do that in a really um, kind of consumer-like, intelligent, data-driven uh, could I even say sexy sort of way? Like, oh my God, you guys, we do this on consumer stuff all the time. Like, why can't we think about that for companies and talent? Are we still evangelizing that the same way or are we starting to get it? Is the, is the market starting to understand? Oh, I mean, what was, what was 1% of people in our space understood this uh, 10 years ago was 3% five years ago and is... 20% today. So there's still a long way to go. Yeah. But there's been a lot of strides ahead made. When I see people whose job titles um, is like talent demand generation and mm. talent pipeline management and, you know, future, they run the future talent program and things like that. And mm -hmm. you find out these people are focused on not building relationships to fill jobs. Not those transactional relationships that's I need a short list of six people that's going to turn into three that's going to turn into a higher. But actually, I want to build a relationship with every single person that we might hire in the future, whether it's next month or whether it's four years from now. That really warms my heart because that's starting to get to the point which sophisticated sales and marketing teams think about. They don't think about who are we going to sell to this month? They think about how can we build relationships with everybody that we want to, you know, pr provide a partnership to in the future. And if those people don't know us, let's do something to get them to know us and build the relationship. If they already know us, but they don't know as well enough that they would consider buying from us, then let's do whatever the right thing is 
to move them from there to there. So, you know, it, it's, it's funnel management. But the difference in talent is, I think, somebody might, they don't just, they don't just buy from you as in become, uh, you know, a team member once. They might do it again four years later. They might go off somewhere else and then come back. So developing the relationships with those people from the minute that they decide, I want to start my career as a lawyer, I want to become a lawyer, through to long after they've retired, that whole span of their career is something that, you know, if I'm a law firm, that's what I want to do. It's not just the uh, moments where I'm going to hire somebody like you, start the relationship again. It's the whole way through your career. That's what employers should be striving for today, I believe. And, and I think maybe the conditions are changing to make that possible. We used to have this view of careers as being long time, sort of very transactional in terms of how you meet and apply and, and make that hiring decision. But then there's this sort of understanding that you should, you know, job hopping was frowned upon. And there was this understanding that you should attempt to stay with the same organization for a long time. I think our notion of employment relationship is different. Talent is mobile and wants to be, and organizations are trying to figure out how to build relationships where that ebb and flow can happen and can actually be very good for everybody involved. You don't have to have a 20 year career at one company to provide value to that brand or that organization over time. It doesn't make sense, whether that's you know kind of coming and going or um, that kind of thing. Susan, Adam mentioned relationship and the chat kind of lit up a little bit. So building relationships with people, first of all, we have to understand what the business needs now and in the future. That's probably right. challenge number one. And then attracting that kind of talent and getting the right kind of pipe. You know, we can't do funnel management without sort of what, who do we want in our pipeline? And then how do we manage it? Anything you'd add there? Yeah, I think, I mean, sometimes I throw my hands up and I'm like, I can't believe we're still having these conversations because having been in the industry for a while, some of the stuff that we talked about 15 years ago are still being debated, but we're making progress, right? As Adam mentioned, from 1% to 20%, 30%. And I wonder in some ways if there's a parallel to just how organizations looked at marketing over time too, where for a while people looked at marketing as the department that just pretties things up. But organizations that have strong marketing um, or who, under, who are leveraging marketing strategically recognize it's a revenue driver, a customer retention and, and loyalty driver, et cetera. It's not the go pretty it up firm. And I think for, for a while in recruitment marketing and, and um, employment branding, people saw it as like, cool, so you're gonna do some expensive career site and video shoot or something like that. And there was appreciation for it because nobody hates beautiful things, right? And uh, But it was a lot of money to spend without necessarily tying it to, we're developing pipelines, we're able to fill jobs faster and so on and so forth. And I think the way that Adam is talking about some of these, you know, pipeline management, et cetera, helps people better understand and appreciate the role that um, marketing can play, whether it's a function or a technology or otherwise within the world of recruiting and talent, attraction and retention. Um, I think on the relationship side, you nailed it in that challenge number one is even understanding what do we need? How far are we from there? Like if we're planning out two years and minus, what does that look like? And recognizing, of course, that changes. I think a lot of organizations are pretty immature in that respect. And I say that with, with respect. It's it's hard, um, but there's also this element of the long game that so few companies are willing to play or even the middle game, right? Where they forfeit that first to say, all right, forget it, let's just worry about now. And it's the same in, in marketing, right? Where people say, let's not worry about what we're gonna need for next year. Let's just worry about filling the pipeline for this month, this quarter, et cetera. And you do unnatural things that could be expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think it always is around orienting on time horizon and what could look like for a defined time period in order to do this well. Mm -hmm. I can't, uh, I, I'm going to open a can of worms. It makes me so mad. The waste that happens in our space, the waste in sort of the pipeline building and then we get people and it's just waste, waste, waste everywhere. And then we hire them and we waste, waste, waste when people get in our organization. We lose line of sight. 
we don't keep and, and maintain the talent profile that you should have started upon attraction. And as you nurtured and assessed and selected talent, you learned a lot about them. How did you make a hiring decision? Why is that not a talent profile you continue to work with and leverage in the organization? So a lot of talent solutions are adding incredible functionality and features to their solutions to continue that talent profile and cre create mobility and skilling conversations. Adam, anything you'd you'd add to that? Yeah, I was actually just about to post a comment yeah. uh, on there, and I was just I was just typing, "Data is the new oil, and we're spilling it everywhere." Yeah. So you know, it's 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 a, a big problem, and one of the reasons that we decided to create Candidate ID was because companies were telling us that they thought it was the fifth or sixth time that a person applied to them or they reached out to that person that they ended yeah. up actually hiring them. And I'm like, right. So what, why, what happened the first few times? Why didn't you keep a relationship going? And of course, when I started in recruitment back in 1999, my job three nights a week was I'd stay till maybe half past seven every night in the office, phoning people that I hadn't spoken to for a while just to find out how they're getting on. And I was working on maybe six roles for different customers. But of course, when you're an in-house talent acquisition person working on 30 to 40 roles, mm -hmm. you can only spend an hour a week on each role. So you don't have the time to pick up the phone to people and find out how they're getting on unless you're trying to hire them right now. So what do we have to do? We've got to adapt and we've got to use technology to do the heavy lifting and do that relationship building. And it's not let's send out an email to everybody that has got a software job title. It's let's set up some marketing workflows where with every click they make, they get a more and more personalized experience. So yeah. it's like a programmatic nurture so that yeah. you can nurture these people and keep in touch with them without having to spend the hu valuable human time, you know, staying till eight o'clock or whatever, picking up the phone to people that you don't have a job for today. So, you know, the, and it applies exactly the same to the internal. And I think we're going to talk about this, but the the amount of people who uh, end up leaving their organization because nobody has talked to them about internal jobs and they go off and work somewhere else. So we need to think we also need to think about the relationship between um, an employer and an employee is completely changed. And I posted in the comments that. I can I can make a living three there's three times more ways for me to making a living today than there was two years ago at the start of the pandemic because I can work for so many different organizations I could set up a yoga class online I could you know I could set up an Etsy shop and sell I don't know craft kilts there's all sorts of different things I could do that I couldn't do a couple of years ago so as an individual I've got more control over my career and therefore more power in the relationship and the employer no longer does. So despite a lot of employers trying to cling on to that by making people come into the office and, you know, we'll control you every day from nine till five or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I just covered quite a lot of different subjects there, but I think my, yeah, my, main, I point, my main, main point is whether somebody's working for you today or you're thinking about hiring them or they've just left your organization you need to have a relationship with them, whatever stage they're at in their, you know, um, uh, sort of decision making and their career. If you've got a relationship with them at all these different points, then mm -hmm. you've got the best type of um, call it CRM that you could possibly have. You know, I have some stats like. Hey, Jess. Yeah, Jason, go ahead. Sorry, I just can't, I'm going to come off mute real quick before it gets with me. So, Susan and Adam. I would love your thoughts, and I realize you're vendors in the space, but I'd love your thoughts on the ATS. Um, and Jess and I probably, what Jess knows, I, you guys don't. I mean, we've probably had more people come to us in the last two weeks asking for new ATSs than over the last five years. And I'm like, what is happening with this ATS? Like, our ATS isn't working, our ATS isn't working, our ATS isn't working. And they're not saying that, by, by the way, let's not talk about vendors here. Let's just talk about, let's just talk as leaders. Uh, I, in most cases, I don't believe it's that the ATS isn't working. It's right. everything around it and what they've done isn't working. But I'd love your thoughts on that when people come to you and say that. 
Yeah, I mean, in some cases, it isn't working for them today and what they need today versus when they implemented it three years ago, five years ago, whatever, right? Either their process has changed, their scale has changed, and either they never really optimize it to make sense for today versus how it was initially configured or implemented, or they really have outgrown it. And I think that's valid and real, right? Companies outgrow technology. But in many cases, I agree. The ATS is, I don't know how the ATS got this wrap. Like, it's just like everyone's favorite punching bag. Um, and more often than not, when you hear it, even if somebody were to say that about a competitor and you dig in a little bit, you're like, that's not what an ATS is supposed to do. Like, I don't think it's broken. I think maybe you're just misaligned in terms of what this is here to do and what it's not. Um, and I can appreciate everybody should push their vendors to consistently up the game in terms of what is capable of, of course. But, um, but it is like everyone's favorite thing to beat up on, which, you know, you have to laugh or, or you'll cry. Um, but there are so many other systems that I think have come over from the left or the right that everyone kept thinking the ATS was going to go die, but it hasn't. I think there's still room for an ATS, but it's not everything. And that's why top of funnel or to the left of, depending on which diagram you're looking at, there's such a need for. And then as Jess mentioned, there's this sort of accordion file we should be thinking of as well that so many things that you learn either at the recruitment marketing and talent attraction stage or at the ats should continue why does it get sunset or buried and start all over again in, a, in onboarding or an hrs it's pretty pathetic when you think of it um and so much of this should be like progressive profile like you would see in marketing right you just continue to add to this and even when you think about onboarding like 30 days after somebody joins your company, they have so many new skills and capabilities that they didn't have 31 days ago. And these systems aren't smart enough to say, you just went through X certification. You now know Y about our company. These, these talent profiles should be dynamic enough and intelligent enough just to automatically serve that up, right? So that talent is more valuable than they were even just a month and a half ago. Um, and that's not necessarily the job of an ATS per se, but I think a, a dynamic talent platform of some way, shape and form should absolutely be offering that without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you know, the applicant tracking system, is there still a need for it, a place for it? Sure. But yes, yes to all of the comments, resetting expectations. It's like saying, I don't know why my sailboat doesn't work it's because it's a bike. Like you're not, you're not <laughs> sailing right now. You have like, stop expecting the wrong tool to do the thing that you're, that it was never built for. And stop expecting back office systems, like stop facing them forward and calling it experience when it's literally only and just a back office tool that has a place and importance and all of that, but but stop facing it forward and calling it experience, please. <laughs> Candidates are not going to, uh, especially in a candidate driven market like this, speed to talent is so, so, so critical, but so is experience. You can't just get to them first, get to them fast. If your experience falls down after that, like again, you're wasting a lot of time and effort getting to the talent with almost no hope of getting them through a funnel. If you haven't designed, back to something Jason said earlier, design journeys for them, about them, that make sense to them. It should feel natural and human. <laughs> I think this is one of the biggest missing skills that we need like widespread in talent acquisition and that's experience design. So at every point that somebody looks at your organization, let alone applies for a job, how do you want to, them to feel? And therefore, what do you want them to do as a result of the way that they feel? So there's just, there's not nearly enough, uh, impetus on that particular subject so and i haven't really seen anybody whose job is called experience design really but uh, i've seen lots of people whose job is things like um well i mean i guess it's like candidate experience but normally that's to do with just that moment in time about the application process but what about yeah. the uh, experience design around the interviews the experience design around bringing them through through the pipeline and yeah. building the nurturing relationship. What about the experience the day that they get offered the job? Mm -hmm. Instead of like that email comes out, pleased to offer you a job, 
what else should be happening? What are the moments that technology and automation should be powering? And what are the really vital you know, uses of human time for the prompt to go to the hiring manager to say, pick up the phone to John because John's just accepted the job? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. When should a human actually do it? And when should we be automating it? So that experience design something that, um, Jess, I think that's where you were, you were, you were going with that. It's Absolutely. vital. Same right on, on customer experience, right? If somebody's yeah. job is customer experience. That can mean 8,000 things. And depending on who you talk to, they're phenomenal at their job or they suck at their job because you're measuring it on the, you know, two different sets of things. But I think to Adam's point, there are these moments that matter that in a customer journey you say, okay, we've got to get these 25 right, whatever it might be. Um, and same for the candidate experience where you know, the day you're sending out an offer, is it like everybody else's where it's just like really old school, you know, PDF or something like that, that they have to print and, you know, do whatever else. Um, we've seen actually some clients use um, Video Studio, one of, one of our tools, but they send these personalized videos with the offer to help stand out in the offer because if it's a dynamic candidate, they're probably getting multiple offers and it's so excited for this, et cetera. Then obviously in onboarding, there are lots of moments that matter. The first day, you know, the 15th day, whatever else it might be, that there are ways for technology to automate some of the noise in between, but still have that human connection and those other parts of that journey, going back to Jason's comment earlier, that I think are really compelling and help you stand out and, and really connect with these individuals. Um, and I, you know, these funnels are broken and you can't just throw more in at the top and expect it to, to work better. And again, I go back to kind of regular marketing too, where if a sales team is doing a really bad job managing leads and we just want to spend more to get in more leads, like for what? <laughs> We're not fixing the, the, the root of the problem. And I think the same thing's happening in talent. That's a you know, and Susan, let me, oh, sorry. I mean, the, the other thing, I mean, I, so this week I stopped in Atlanta after Charlotte and, you know, we had the, I had a long conversation with the CHRO and her team about this concept of minimum viable product and that we have to stop doing it unless the viable is actually adding value to the candidate and the worker up front. So, I mean, internally at LeapGen, when we work That's with clients, we, we say minimum lovable product instead of minimum viable product. You know, and, and trying to get organizations to stop this. Cause, you know, when the candidate gets something, oh, you know, it's just minimum viable right now. And by the way, you're going to have to go to five places. Or this this thing isn't right now, but it's going to get better. Like, people lose confidence really, really early in that. And I think we need to change the way that we think about these things. I mean, Bob, earlier, I'm trying to make sure I get everyone's comments in here. Someone earlier said, um, you know, how do you make sure, you know, for someone's job is, that's leading just the ATMs, for said this james you know it, how many people that use the ats just assume their job is to manage the ats instead of seeing it as a tool to support the profession and i think it's really interesting to keep that in mind that ats isn't just a recruiting tool it's a tool that whole concept of talent transformation that we focus on jess which i think we have a webinar coming on in not too distant future but is really how we should think about this whole thing holistically and i know adam you were going to jump in as well but you know, I just I see way too much of this minimum viable product stuff when people deploy the ATS and then they say, oh, this isn't any better than our old ATS. And then all of a sudden we blame the ATS over and over and over. Like I'm kind of like done with it. Sorry. <laughs> mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. Susan, no, absolutely. Way, you said, Susan, by the way, you said the word stop. You've just changed our uh, explicit rating on uh, <laughs> We're having somebody from Jersey on the on the. Oh uh, yeah, I'm like what the? Uh, no, just kidding. But thank you for being yourself, open um, Adam. You swear um, more than her, but go ahead. I know he's very well behaved for a Glasgowian. Is it Glasgowian? Glaswegian. <laughs> Glaswegian, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I want to go back to experience design. Jason and I are presenting a webinar next week. Uh, for human resource executive on empathy for shift-based work. And I pulled some interesting stats as I was creating this content. I wanna, I wanna share some stats with you. One in four people, regardless of generation, it gets worse though if you're Gen Z, one in four people think their workplace shows enough empathy. 82% of people would change employers to work for a more empathetic employer. And then there's a couple of other stats where CEOs absolutely agree and say, 
they believe empathy needs to evolve, but 70% of CEOs say they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to show more empathy in the workplace. This is experience design. Empathy is nothing more than putting yourself in someone's shoes, imagining life in their shoes, imagining work from their perspective and viewpoint. Literally sit in their seat and do their job and imagine how you could do it better. That's experience design. And we can create more empathetic workplaces by making work easier for people. Not easier well, to, you can have a hard job, but it shouldn't be hard to do it. The tools, the processes, the journeys, we can grease the skids for people by making it easy for them to perform and function, to complete tasks, to access information they need about being an employee. I entirely agree with that. Although I think it's important to bear in mind everybody's brain is different and can cope with different types of scenarios, you know, better. We're all four of us and probably everybody here, we are all better than everybody else at one particular thing. And we're not as good as each other at certain things. And so the ability to be empathetic is I think something that's within and some people are very natural at being able to, you know, generate that, you know, feeling and generate the the feeling of what would it be, the emotional intelligence to understand what would it be, what would it be to me to see that if somebody said that to me or if somebody made me do that or if somebody, you know, and some people are very good at that and some people don't necessarily have the same levels of emotional intelligence to be able to do that. So should it be up to the CEO to be the person who you know does that? Maybe if they're very good at that, but they may not be very good at that. They may be very good at completely different things. So identifying who can create those experiences in the right type of way, mm-hmm. if you can't, is something that's you know important to consider. But I think it's also interesting, as I know, Jess, earlier you mentioned um, talent mobility. And I think that comes in quite a bit when we think about empathy, right? Where it could be that a lot of these employees who wind up leaving probably would have been happy to stay with the company. They probably would have preferred to in a lot of cases, but either they felt they weren't being seen, they weren't being appreciated or felt valued, or they even threw their hat in the ring for one of these other opportunities and they were treated really poorly. And there hasn't been enough empathy, I think, for for what that experience is like for a lot of employees. And I've seen too many organizations and too many individuals that the people who have elected to leave, they're treated like pariahs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we loved this person yesterday. And our chief people officer, Laura, has has a great expression, which is, you know, red carpet in, red carpet out. Um, and I love that because these are wonderful people who again have been part of your your community, your family, whatever it might be for a day, a week, a month, whatever it is. And to like act as if it's, don't let the door hit you on your way out is bizarre, yeah. it's truly bizarre to me. Um, and again, especially considering a lot of these folks, I would have loved to grow their careers within those organizations. Yeah. I've a conversation internally where I kind of considered, what does it look like to apply to an organization externally? Let's say you're, you're I don't know, marketing, you're paid search, marketing, whatever. Yeah. You see a job internally, you see a job externally, and you apply for both on the same day. And externally, you're getting courted by the people on LinkedIn, the recruiters who are making you feel like you're like the most special person in the world. You're going to change the planet. You know, you've got all these great things coming your way, amazing growth opportunities. Internally, nobody's courting you for the role, but you're going on this like old school job board. You're applying internally with your resume that this company should already know all your skills to our point earlier goes into a black hole, maybe you get a phone call, maybe you don't, you don't get the job and like nobody really makes you feel good about it. And chances are you're gonna leave if you don't get that job because you've been made to feel really poorly and there hasn't been enough empathy to say like, what does that experience look like for an employee who's been vulnerable enough to say, I'm interested in something else and doesn't get a great experience or the job? Mm -hmm. How could we be surprised that they're gonna leave? To me, there are so many moments of empathy that we could improve upon that are just very real that it would just take a beat of thinking about it to get better at it and improve retention and improve productivity and all these other important business metrics as well. It's just, it feels so obvious to me. I'll take it one step further. That, what you just described, drives me so nuts. I 
will I will go on the record, I will die on this hill. If you open an external requisition, you should have to prove that that talent doesn't exist inside the organization. You should have to show that you have evaluated, like, I, nope, they're not here. I swear to God, they're not in this company. I have to go get them on the open marketplace. Like, why don't we do, when I sat in the seat of a recruiter two centuries ago, I was like, it was like sort of a mandatory, you had to at least screen the resume of internal applicants to say that you did, but it was just a box to check. Like, okay, I looked at the internals. I'm moving on to who I think I really want here. Uh, what an insane practice. And I would also challenge people, challenge, this is like, we don't do like the easiest stuff. When people leave, tell them they can come back. Imagine if you told high performers, if they weren't leaving for performance reasons or some other you know, conduct violation or something, assuming most people would be welcomed back, do you tell them? Do you make it easy for them to you know, sort of make it respectful and dignified and say, oh my gosh, we wish you the best. If you ever want to come back, give me a call. Imagine how many boomerangs you would create. Sure. I think employers need to do this because like it's not I don't think it I think it's mandatory that they do this now because um the length that my father worked for two or maybe three, sorry, three employers in his you know 40 year career. Um you know, I, I've worked for more than that. My kids will work for more than that. The average length of time somebody is in a job in the UK today is 2.6 years or two years, well, two and a half years, sorry. And it's coming down by a month every two years. So, you know, people are spending less time working for the same employer. So as a result, you really have no choice. You can't try and, you know, people are going to go, whether you, whether you create a brilliant internal uh, marketplace, internal talent acquisition environment or not, they're going to go and learn new experiences somewhere else. And yeah. you really want the ability to bring them back. So keep in touch with them. Your alumni programs never been more important. And I bet your customer, like your brand, your consumer side will love your alumni program. Those are still customers, depending on what your product or your service is. Those are still customers, even if they're not active current employees, they might be an employee again, but they're always a customer. I, again, brand people get this stuff so, so well, just steal, you know, go collaborate with your brand and marketing folks and, and incorporate some of those concepts. But I think it's also part of why we see talent mobility obviously has gotten so much, so much interest over the last couple of years. And we feel strongly that it should be part of a recruiting conversation and take some of the recruiting best practices, which we know in some cases are stolen as marketing from marketing best practices versus it acting more like um, core HR. Um, I'm not saying there aren't connections. Obviously, there's overlap. But a lot of the things we're talking about, recruiting functions have gotten really good at. And then to have to relearn it all over again for mobility, it, it just yeah. it feels broken in that regard. We feel strongly about it. Um, we, we announced an internal mobility solution, our opportunity marketplace, a few months back because we really feel like this is a chasm that um, really needs to be reconsidered. Yeah. Yes, it, Susan and Adam, can I bring up a topic that's a can of worms, but we have a few, we have a few minutes okay. for the worms. Um, there's a lot of organizations that we're meeting with today that are saying AI <laughs> Alan Iverson, no, AI is the answer to the recruiting problems, the, to every recruiting. And I just love, once again, a non-vendor bias take on, I think AI is tremendously valuable. Uh, I think it's very dependent on data, as we talked to, as we mentioned earlier in the chat. But I'd love your guys' thoughts on that, because I, I see you guys as a leader in this space around AI. But also, I don't think you think that it's the answer and the end all be all to basically getting rid of recruiters and having a robot be a recruiter. I don't know who wants to take that first. Well, I mean, I've got a very simple answer to that. If the AI is something that is going to enhance the experience for the candidate, the recruiter, or the hiring manager, it's well worth collecting the data and trying to create algorithms which make good use of that data. Uh, you know, in order to generate those enhancements. Okay. If it's something just to try and be clever with no real world 
benefit, it's a waste of time. If it's going to exacerbate bias, it needs to be stopped immediately and reversed. Um, but AI is often not the solution. The solution may well be an automation solution, or it may, may, may simply be a better process, better you know, creative assets, or better training for your teams. There's all sorts of things that are going to enhance recruitment that's not AI, but it definitely has a big opportunity and it's already creating wins in uh, in talent acquisition but it's got it's got it's got a big place in the future of of recruitment for sure mm -hmm. and thanks for calling out the difference between automation and ai we mix a lot of terms uh and people can't understand why ai ai isn't solving all the world's problems start with basic process automation like start there and then apply data and intelligence uh, and yes, to the point about standardization, Tracy, yes, AI, bots, it's only as good as what you put it in front of. If you don't have your data house in order, if you don't have a good knowledge base to draw from, the AI isn't going to do anything for you. Don't put a bot on your career site if it can't answer any questions. Um, but, but again, like the innovation is there. This is the incredible part. The tech has never been better in our lifetimes. The innovation is there. It's all in, Adam, we're gonna go back to your mic drop moment. Yes, it's all in experience design. Design, design, design. That's how to make the technology sing and dance for you. I'd like to introduce just a, an additional concept which relates to that. And that is, we do, we do use the term in TA, we tend to use the term, uh, treat candidates like consumers. And while, <laughs> I think that's an important concept to consider. It's not always exactly the right the right concept to consider because you don't if you're in if you're in marketing, you don't think about selling Skittles in this. Is that what they're called in the U.S. The little sweeties? Yeah. Yes. yeah. They, sometimes they're called different things on the other side. Anything but that. Yeah, sometimes they're called different things on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, uh, you know, anyway. just that's what Jess calls her girls. Uh, little sweeties, little but, uh, they sweeties. and they do love skittles they're not, yeah they're not, <laughs> they do like skittles but they're not we should call them just skittles from now on jess oh my god I'm, I'm, gonna I'm gonna tell them they're the three skittles now <laughs> yes if you're Sorry, selling, I like little sweeties yes if you're selling skittles if you're marketing skittles you're doing it in a way which is to get consumers to buy it yeah if you're marketing um software or like B2B software or something else, you're doing it in a total, or consulting services or something like that, you're doing it in a completely different way. So somebody that's making a decision about, shall I buy Coke or Dr. Pepper? Are, that's a split you know, decision that's based on things that have got into their brain and it might be to do with the packaging or it's not a highly considered purchase. Mm -hmm. It is, it is, um, much less considered than if you're buying a wedding venue or a new car or a funeral plan or something else. You're probably going to do a lot more research. You're going to look at review sites. You're going to find out what your friends think. You're going to do, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to come to a decision over a longer period of time. And that's the difference between the way that some people take their career choices and other people take their career choices. And I'm going to say something here, which is going to be really quite crass, but I'm just going to say it. If I'm working in one contact center and the contact center across the road is paying a dollar an hour more, I may well make the decision to go and join that other one just because of that. Uh -huh. However, if I am a data scientist and I know that every single employer in the USA wants to hire me, I'm not going to go to the one that's offering a dollar an hour more. I'm going to take my time over my decision making. And that's much more of like a B2B type of sales and marketing approach that you need to take to hire enterprise salespeople, customer success managers, um, software engineers, scientists, you know, those types of people. So you've got to think about who is it I'm uh, trying to build a relationship with here? And is it more of a B2C type of sales and marketing nurture process, or is it more of a B2B process? Because they're quite different. 
I love that. And and coming from employer branding, I also don't try to attract everybody. Like do, use your good marketing chops and use your brand to whittle people out as much as you whittle them in and be upfront and transparent about your process and and what would actually make a match. When you, when you said Dr. Pepper a second ago, when I was on site with a customer this week, I went to the refrigerator to grab something to drink. And I've never seen this before. It said there was doctor, there was like Coke Zero and some other products instead. And, and then there was a Dr. Pepper really big and bold on the can with sugar. Not without, like not Coke Zero, with sugar. Like they were being very clear about the fact like we put all the sugar in this can. Mm -hmm. So if you if you like soda with sugar, this is what you want. I thought, oh my gosh, we try to be so many things for so many people. What if I just want to sell the soda drinkers, the sugar fiends, a can of sugar? <laughs> what great marketing. It's the same with the companies that work people like a dog. If that's yeah. what you do. Just like, say it. Boast about it. Tell the world you're going to come here and you're going to work from 7 a.m. until 11 p.m. Right. And guess what? Maybe 10 years down the line, if you ever dare to choose leave us, you know, people might actually, you know, treat, give you other cool jobs as well. Further down, you know, you're going to yeah. whatever the benefits are, there must be some benefits. We will pay you crazy amounts of money, but you will never see your family. Yeah. yeah? If that's the truth. Boast but about if you're it. 22 years old and you eyed your first Mercedes, that might have worked for you. How, yes. you know, how honest, how transparent. Allow me to make the decision. Let's just be honest with each other. Uh, there's some employers that do a really, really, really great job of, of that, too. I think we should tell people up front, how long does it take to apply? What is the interview process going to be like? This is what we're going to assess you on. These are the questions I might even ask you in the interview. Like, why are we not more transparent? I think that can help. Again, funnel management. It's amazing what empathy, transparency, just having good conversation, honest conversation uh, can do to, to grease the skids for everybody involved. That's right. Tell people what to expect. Mm -hmm. They're going to find out anyway. I'm going to go into Glassdoor and I'll see that your application process takes 35 minutes and then I've got to do six interviews and I've got to do assessments and I've got to give you my inside leg measurement and my national insurance number, yeah. you know, but look, tell, tell people why you do that process. If that process is because genuinely we believe we get the best people in our business to make it the best business in the world through that, explain why I, I completely agree. Transparency is vital in that. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe we're almost out of time, Jason. This happens every Friday. <laughs> I mean, you guys, one of the things I just love, I know we're almost out of time, but this will be a challenge for Susan and Adam. I know they're up for it. Like, do you think that this is getting better? Like the world of recruiting is getting better. I should just say, you should just say yes or no. But like, I, I feel like whenever I'm in one of these conversations, I'm like, am I in the 90s? 2000s like are we getting better um i just love your thought Adam, yeah i mean i, I think i think it's getting better but not necessarily on mass so when i said earlier uh, and oh yeah one 10 years 10 years ago one percent of people were thinking like uh in 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 a really sophisticated way around how to treat candidates properly and candidate experience and marketing and all those types of things and then it became three percent five years later and now it's maybe 20%. It is getting better, but it's not like, you know, 90% of people know how to do all of this. Yeah. It's more informed, right? And some, and yeah, Jason, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like, sometimes I look up, I'm like, how are we still talking about this? Um, I think in some cases it's a lot better. It's more intentional. It's more informed, et cetera. But the basics, I don't think we're better at. The things that Jess just mentioned in terms of setting expectations, being like, I don't think that's better. I think laws make it better. And, you know, but, and again, I know that's going to be for another day, but I don't think some of the basics the companies have gotten better at. I think the edge cases and some of these other cool, shiny things people have gotten really good at. And, and that's fun to watch. <laughs> the good news is, and I know we're at time, so we'll wrap. We're in a candidate driven market. So we'll be forced to make some changes for good, for the good. We'll be forced because we're trying to compete, uh, to show empathy and to be transparent and to address experience. Like 
okay, good. But do it when you're not, when your hand isn't being forced, because then you'll actually be able to get ahead of the game and keep those positive changes that you put in place. Jason, you're going to go yeah, enjoy just now, huh? Yeah, just uh, thank you, Adam, and thank you, Susan, for uh, for being here. And I just love working with you guys. Um, I don't. I was going to say you guys look younger than when I first met you, and I look older. Um, but uh, you know, I, back to the whole industry thing. Like, uh, I feel like we've been talking about the same thing. But um, let's keep at it because uh, together as a community, we can keep making strides. So um, thank you guys so much for for being here. This is awesome. Thank you so much. This is really fun. Awesome. You guys, by the way, you pushed us over 2,000. That's a huge milestone for this community. There we go. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we were at 65 last week. All of a sudden, we got to over 2,000. It was all Susan. Exactly. I, sorry, Adam. I, <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, awesome. guys. And for the fantastic Friday. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. Love you all.